Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the show. It's Chris Graham. I'm joined by Rod Mullins today. We're going to talk some NASCAR and we're going to review, uh, starting out with here anyway, the uh, race in Chicago this past weekend. And uh, NASCAR can't have any luck as far as rain goes with this race. But Rod, I wanted to get your just initial impressions just overall before we kind of break down the actual race on the track. What were your impressions of uh, how this street race went off? I thought it was great. I thought it was just absolutely incredible that they had uh, been able to pull this off and do such a a great job with it. Um, To me, I think more than anything else, it was just a proven thing that NASCAR has needed to change. They've needed to have a little bit of change and think outside the oval for once. And, um, you know, they decided to take it to one place that I think welcomed more than anything else right now, welcomed the opportunity for uh, these drivers to get out on the track because, you know, simply put, Chicago right now doesn't have the greatest reputation in the world, Uh, you know, considering uh, the deaths and so forth. And they could use a little bit of some positive PR. And this was one of those cases where I think that the city of Chicago, NASCAR, a bunch of these other groups that were aligned chicago sports authority i think was another one that was involved with it i think they pulled off a a heck of a a heck of a race uh even though it rained um that's one of the things you should anticipate at at least with summertime and when this was scheduled but um it also forced these drivers to have to adapt once again i think this is one of the things that i think race car drivers i've said it before get a little bit too complacent and they think that you know, the way things are going around the Oval is the way it ought to be, but not this time around. And this forced them to have to change up a little bit of some things. Do you think this is the kind of thing now that NASCAR has has tasted a street race in a major city like a Chicago? It cost $50 million to build the track. Uh, right. So it was costly. But do you think now that uh, NASCAR has this experience that it's going to be something that we'll see in again in the future? I think so. Um, I know Chicago has another option on it for next year. Uh, they have a 180 day, um, you know, to get re- out of the clause, just in case, like by the time 24 or the um, 2024 season comes up and Chicago suddenly says, we can't do this. Uh, they've got more than 180 days to kind of come up with another solution for this. But I don't think they're going to, not this time around. I think we're going to be seeing another uh, street course race there. And I think based upon the success of this one, I think we're going to see it in some other places. I also think you're also going to see um, some of these cities step up that have traditionally held IndyCar races, uh, particularly, I think, uh, Tampa, St. Pete some of these places and some places out West. I know Portland, I think does one or somewhere out in West. uh, They do one. Um, I think it's going to open up a uh, opportunity for them to be able to go and uh, to go out West and to maybe hit some other markets and quite possibly even go back into Toronto, going to the Canadian market is what I think it's going to happen because they're already in talks about going back to that Canadian uh, road course track. Uh, I know that the uh, Xfinity series has run there before, but now there's serious talks about putting them uh, the cup series there on a, uh, at least on a regular basis for two years. So we'll have to just wait and see what happens with that. The winner on Sunday, a guy named Shane Van Gisbergen 
Um, you, nobody seemed to know how to pronounce his name. Uh, the TV announcers, Joey Logano called him Van Berger, Hamburger. Brad Kozlowski uh, tweeted uh, he didn't know who who he was when he was walking beside him on Saturday at the track uh, on the track walk. Uh, but uh, he's a guy that uh, you know there were people who uh, who who know international racing. He's he's a New Zealand native, uh, a three time champion on the Australia uh, Supercar Series. There were people ahead of the race um, who were saying this guy's going to win. I mean, this you know he's a street his, his experiences in street racing. Um, this guy's going to be competitive if not win the race. Uh, you know, breakout star. I mean, he's a guy now I'm seeing talk about him, you know, maybe at his, his contract with supercars is up at the end of this year. He might be a full-time NASCAR guy next year. What a weekend for, for him. I, I know that there is one Aussie that is sitting down uh, in the land down under that is just kicked back with his feet up and he is laughing all the way because Marcus Ambrose pulled off a road course win at Watkins Glen several years ago for Richard Petty running under the Ford banner at that time. And this just proves to me that some of these drivers and, you know, I might be, you know, towing the line here by saying this, but um, I think this win by Shane Van Gisenbergen set more than anything else in motion that some of these NASCAR drivers aren't as good as they thought they were. I think that's just as plain and simple uh supercars they do some different things i've not followed them that much but when i heard that he was going to be racing i thought to myself man we've got a thing that could possibly happen like shades of marcus ambrose all over again and sure enough he he was there i think he he never dropped out of the top 20 i don't think the entire day he stayed there in the pack and then right toward the very end of the race i couldn't believe the move that he made it took some quote unquote balls to make a move like he did uh, to go around the leader, Justin, Ye uh, Justin Yaley at that time. Um, uh, it just, it was incredible just to see. And he was, he was patient. He was not one of these, like we saw in the last 10 laps to go of this street race. You started seeing a lot of impatient drivers trying to make their way toward the front. He was sitting, he was just coasting, was what he was doing. And I think uh, Chase Elliott put it best that, you know, here he comes, somebody from down under, and they come over here and they show us up what bad drivers we are. Well, that's kind of to say the the state of the, the series, so to speak. It's kind of been in one way or another kind of stale. It's been like a piece of bread here for a little while. And now you're throwing this thing up and now you're attracting a worldwide audience. It's the thing of, hey, we can't stay confined to the South forever. Let's show what we're capable of. And that's what they've done already with Le Mans. If you look back at the pictures of uh, the race at Le Mans, the Camaro was the biggest car out on the track. I mean, it was huge compared to some of the other ones that were laying so low to the ground and so aerodynamic, but it had power. And a lot of the, they picked up a lot of fans over in France and they've picked up a whole lot of worldwide fans now, because like you were saying, there's talk, you know, his supercars contract ends this year. Um, I don't know what he's going to do for 2024, uh, but he says there's the possibility. Hey, I may show up here. If he does, uh, you know, Trackhouse Racing is probably going to have him, and it's going to be unreal what uh, what Trackhouse could possibly do uh, with a driver of this caliber.
Yeah, he was there with Trackhouse uh, through their Project 91 program. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so it would be an interesting backdoor into NASCAR if uh, Van Gisbergen was able to play his way into the circuit full time through 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 Project 91 and then winning this race, of course. Um, so we talked about, uh, you know, possible. I mean, could you, I asked about the possibility of something like this again in the future because okay this was experimental uh the weekend with all the rain some parts of chicago got nine inches of rain on sunday alone yeah um we saw the pictures of the tires floating in the pits you know yeah. pictures and video that were posted to social media of that chicago can't help that but you know we did see you know the dirt race at at, at um bristol I thought was well received last year and, 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 you know, we had a second one this year and it's not on the schedule for 2024. So, right. um, you know, NASCAR is experimenting and they're willing to, you know, to have, you know, potential failures. Nobody knew how this race was going to go this weekend, right. but I would say, I mean, it, it seemed like for, I, I read one account that said uh, somewhere around 80% of the fans who bought tickets to this race were mm -hmm. first time NASCAR uh, event attendees. Yeah. Uh, that's huge for NASCAR. Uh, you know, this is the kind of thing, whether it's this specifically in Chicago, maybe another city with a street race, maybe more street races added in the future. This breaks the doldrums that maybe NASCAR can let itself get into. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree wholeheartedly because, you know, this was uh, this was taking a chance. I know that when we first reported this uh, whole thing, what last year when we were talking about this, some of the drivers were up in arms. It's like, no, we don't deserve, we don't belong on a street course. We don't need to be on a street course. It's time to put that kind of thinking aside and, you know, give the fans what they want. And you, you, you mentioned it, 80% of these fans went and they bought tickets to this thing. And then you could watch around certain corners, certain turns, uh, straightaways, especially there around Grant Park and there on the back street. Uh, that you saw people as many as five, six, seven deep sometimes trying to all get a good eye at what was going on with the race. And yeah, I know they had some elevated stands that were up there and some of them were kind of spotty at best at times, but that was early on in the race. I think by the time that the race was getting ready to finish and the weather had started kind of moving out from what they had already had, um, you started seeing people up in the stands and this was just this was like, to me, the first Brickyard race. Uh, the first time that I ever attended the Brickyard race, there was so much pomp and pageantry behind this and, this and the city of Chicago with it. This just seemed like such a great event. And, you know, where they take it from here is going to be the big story. Now, as for Bristol with the dirt race, I don't know. I thought there was a, at least a, a great recipe there for it but i don't know what the fans i you know the fans are very hard very fickle right now and you know there's some fans that still especially at bristol that haven't got over that top groove being taken away that they had at one point at bristol with the uh addition of the safety barrier and then also they kind of trimmed it off up toward the top and it reduced the, the being, being able to make passing lanes or being able to pass somebody on the high side. Uh, you know, there's people still upset over that. They said that took away the best racing we've ever had. I've seen some great racing here in the last several years at Bristol, and I've seen some great racing on dirt. But, uh, you know, the fans are going to have to 
I hate to say it in this kind of way, the fans are going to kind of have to put down their silver spoon and they're going to have to kind of eat with a plastic spoon here for a little bit because this is the way things are going. And I know it's not the Southern sport that what it used to be, but this is trying to appeal to a more worldwide audience. And when you bring these drivers in of such capabilities, such as uh, Van Gisenbergen, you know, and SVG as they called him, um, you've really, you struck a nerve somewhere. And I think, you know, we still haven't seen, I think we're going to see a um, Japanese driver at the Indy course uh, when they run the Brickyard at the Indy coming up uh, about the last of the month, first part of August, we're going to see a Japanese there. It's going to be competing. This is actually America's way of saying, hey, forget about IndyCar, look at us, look at what we've come from and look at how we've been able to transform this from this back roads moonshine hauling operation to this full-fledged fan experience yeah I, I think the the sky's the limit for nascar if they can you know keep together everything and the dollar signs and make sure that everything is well within their budget what they need to do i might have said this on a recent podcast but uh what what nascar could do with this and having an international winner of this race could even in uh, further this aim we could, could kind of be like what NBA did with bringing in the, the stars from Europe and, uh, you know, from across right. the across the pond and playing in the NBA, making the NBA the destination for basketball worldwide. And also, I didn't say this in, in the last one, but MLB, Major League Baseball, same thing. Japanese, the top stars of Japanese baseball, the top stars from the Dominican Republic, uh, from Cuba, from Mexico. Uh, Japan, certainly they all want to they, they want to play here in the States. And so if NASCAR can become the same. Uh, in racing, that would be a, a big coup there. I wanted to get one other thing in about this race okay. that I thought was neat. I was reading about this over the weekend. Um, you know, for the most part, uh, when the, the NASCAR teams drive from, from city to city, the drivers uh, stay in their their luxury um, motor homes, you know, and they stay on the infield. Well, you know, and, and, and as a result, they kind of stay to themselves. From You know, they're, they're there in their little self-contained units uh, from week to week. Chicago didn't allow that uh, possibility because Chicago being a you know big city and they were the, the race was in, in the city of Chicago. Uh, all the drivers had to stay at hotels. And I read about how interesting it was, the dynamic there, the racers interacting with each other in ways they don't normally do during the season. Uh, also just interacting with fans uh, because of the fact they were staying at hotels near the course. Uh, a lot of a lot of interaction with fans. Some drivers walking around unnoticed. They they noted that on social media, which is an interesting little aspect. Yeah. But but just you know, I, I know that they're not going to go back to uh, you know get, oh let's get rid of the motorhomes and stop staying on our own kind of thing. But another neat element to this race was just the uh, the way the drivers had to interact with each other and also interact with fans. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, that kind of harkens back to the old days of the old circuit when you got so far away and you didn't have any other thing but a pickup truck and then you had a trailer with a car on top of it and then you hauled it around. You went from track to track and you stayed at, pardon the phrase, you had to stay at every flea-bitten, flea-bag motel that there was, cockroach-ridden motel that you could find. Uh, if, if it was like $9 a night, that's what you took. You took $9 a night, and that's what you live with. Uh, you went out. It's almost like the story, too. You know, I noticed you guys had had a story 
uh, put up about uh, Carter family and uh, his music uh, going to be at the uh, theater up there uh, in Waynesboro. And, uh, you know, it kind of harkens back to the old story about Ralph Stanley down here, Carter's brother, who would take him out on the road and these musicians expecting big steak dinners and everything else after they performed. And simply all Ralph Stanley would go and do, he did it like the days of old. He would go buy about two loaves of bread and then buy a roll of bologna, take it, put it on the big bus that they had, throw it down on the table and say, have at it, boys, there's dinner. And that's the way NASCAR used to be. I mean, bologna sandwiches, hot dogs, whatever it used to be. Um, it's kind of like getting back to your roots almost in an informal sort of way. And I think that made uh, a little bit more to it. I, the whole thing about the the motorhome thing, I understand that. I respect that. They have to stay on the road. They're on the road and they, they want to bring the family and travel and so forth. But it's not like the old way of camping and roughing it you know, having to live with what you've got and do what you have to do with. Uh, NASCAR is has kind of leaped beyond those bounds where they used to be. But, you know, the Chicago trip, I guess, was a little bit of a trip back to yesterday for all this, uh, for these uh, some of these drivers who have no idea what some of the uh, older drivers had to do at one point or another. Looking at the standings uh, after last weekend's race, Martin Truex Jr. remains at the top, 591 points, a nine-point lead over William Byron in second. Byron has three wins this season and 10 top 10 finishes, but he's in second. Ross Chastain in third, Christopher Bell in fourth, Kyle Busch in fifth. And then you look at the cut line um, for playoffs, uh, the 16 who make the first uh, weekend of the playoffs. Actually, it's... I'll, I'll even go up to 14, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., 15, Bubba Wallace right now, Ty Gibbs in 16th. And then on the other side of the cut line for the moment, uh, Daniel Suarez, Michael McDowell, A.J. Elmendinger, Alex Bowman. Down in 24th is, is uh, Chase Elliott because he missed several races. Yeah. So um, we can see who has uh, the advantage right now in the points and also who has work to do heading into the next few weeks. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Chase Elliott. And, you know, I get on here and I talk a little bit about Chase Elliott about each and every time we do a race. Uh, but uh, Chase Elliott had a chance to win this race. Uh, but the thing was, he was just, lack of a better term, outdriven by SVG. No, no doubt about it. I mean, whatever he tried to do, there was no way he could overcome that. The best thing that could have happened for Chase Elliott was to have a win on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening in Chicago, because that would have put him in the hunt, you know, in the playoff hunt. But he would have probably had to come up with another win in between now and the rest of the regular season to kind of solidify his chances, because he could have been on one of those lines of where he could flip either way and stuff. They were talking about that on Sunday also with some of the guys that were uh, flirting between the cut line and the playoff line. And if the race had actually ended and we were going to the playoffs, there were some drivers that were right down to the very last lap where they placed uh, that could have determined. And, you know, you hate to be behind that eight ball. That's what you are. You're behind this eight ball right now. And you're saying, how what's going to happen yet for me and chase elliott has got to be wondering when is it going to happen and it could happen this weekend at atlanta you know he's back in home state and so forth he won there last year but uh 
you know, it's not been the typical Chase Elliott season for him. It's been a season of adversity and how he has handled it on one part of it has been great. The other part of it, not so good. And I don't know, you know, what happens, what answers that question, except for a win this coming weekend. Yeah, the, uh, this weekend in Atlanta, you mentioned it. It's the first of the final eight races heading into the playoffs. The playoffs start the first weekend of September. That, that's September 3rd at Darlington. But we're we're heading to Atlanta, the Quaker State 400, um, a night race, 7 o'clock start on Sunday night on USA Network. Um, so we need, we know Chase Elliott is back in his home state. Uh, he's, he's looking to build, build off that momentum of having the lead late and, and, you know, having things not turn out the right way, but still that's, as was a positive race in general for him, who else can we look for, uh, to compete this weekend? Well, yeah, I, I'm not going to rule out a Corey LaJoy out of this. Corey LaJoy has run really well, uh, either having a win or having a top five, top 10 finish. He's done really well at Atlanta. Uh, there's been a lot of these drivers that just absolutely love the new surface that they put on Atlanta because at first it was just a mile and a half track. It was the cookie cutter track like Charlotte, uh, like so many others. And then when they repaved it, it almost now is to the point a mile and a half racetrack with speeds close to what you have on a super speedway. And that's just unreal. So you're you're really booking it coming down through the back stretch, coming into the turns, and then through that little dog leg right there toward the front, and then making your way back around. And you're building up moment uh, more momentum when you're going into turn one to build up as you go into the back stretch. Um, you know, this track for Corey LaJoy would be good. Um, you know, I wouldn't rule out Kyle Bush with this one. Uh, Kyle Bush had a decent performance at this road race this past weekend, although he did hit the tire barrier, uh, one time and thought that was going to be the end of his car as it was all underneath tires. He at least didn't have as bad a day as what Noah Gregson had. I think six times is what Noah Gregson did when he hit the, uh, the tire barrier that they had at Chicago. You've got some of these teams right now, though, that are pushing to try to come up with a win. Uh, Christopher Bell needs a good win this coming weekend. Uh, started out looking really good at the race in Chicago and then faded away. They just had a lot of issues that happened and took place. Uh, but, you know, at especially at Atlanta, it's hard to tell who will possibly pull off a win at this track because all the drivers love it. Kyle Busch at first has been one of these that said hated it, hate, absolutely hated it. But, of course, that's when he was with Joe Gibbs Racing. Now that he's with Richard Childress and he's got a different uh, setup underneath him, um, it could be a little bit of a different story for him. But most of these drivers, they love Atlanta. It's just a chance for them to be able to show off some speed and some uh, ability, what they can do on Sunday night. All right, Ron, as we wrap up the show, i got to ask you about your Cincinnati Reds. What are they doing? What what business do they have being in first place right now as we head in, getting close to the All-Star break? They've got a lot of business being in first place right now, <laughs> as long as it's not the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm going to put it that way. Or the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, you know, and I know some people might say, why? Well, you know, what was that? I saw the figure this evening, 18 of their last 22 games. They have just been incredible. And then they're talking now about the uh, the young kids, the guys that are coming up 
they said, if you think this bunch is talented this year, you wait until next year when they get some of these guys out of the farm system, out of AAA, and these guys can start making an impact. They said the Reds could be unstoppable. Gives me hope. I've got my fingers and my toes crossed. I can't cross very many more things without getting into a muscle cramp before it's over with. But, you know, um, I'm still I'm still kind of cautiously optimistic at the Reds. I just hope nothing falls apart for them by the end of the uh, by the well, the midway point after the midway point of the season. But, you know, Abbott pitched another uh, great gem of a ball game the other night and then. What is it has swept two from the nationals already? Yeah. Have, have they got a game tonight, I think, or yeah, yeah two more this, two more in Washington. Tonight. Yeah, yeah. So uh they've got another game tonight. They've swept two from them already. Uh the Reds would be happy enough to just go out of there three and one. If they lose a game to them, I don't think it's going to hurt much. But they are gaining, and it seems like a lot of the other teams in the central are kind of just losing ground to the Reds each time when they win a game, nobody's able to keep pace with them. But then if the Reds lose, then it kind of changes everything. So uh, the Reds are just, you know, I don't know. I I think the Reds are for real this year. Uh, It's just taken a little while to get them in the position that they're in, but I just get tired of reading sports writers and people going on and saying over and over the national league central is the worst division in national league or in major league baseball and i'm like yeah you're right they probably are as bad as they can be but oh well i've i've cried for a number of seasons seeing the reds in the cellar and so forth and begging that david bell be fired and get somebody else in there but you know even a dusty baker he couldn't win him a world series either he coached there managed there for a while and then couldn't do anything, and then lo and behold, shows up at Houston. What does he do? Wins a World Series. So um, I'm happy with the I'm happy with the Reds right now, but cautiously optimistic. You know, the, I, I'd say the AL Central is probably the worst division in baseball now. They just because the Reds have been so hot. Uh, the Brewers are also they're 46 and 40. The Reds are a game ahead at 47 and 39. You go to the AL Central, they have one team over 500. Minnesota, who is one game over 500. Oh my gosh! Uh, so that's a the Central in, in general, the Midwest, the, the the Central time zone not playing very good baseball in general, except for the Reds and Brewers. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Andrew Abbott, the UVA alum. Uh, he's four and zero in his six starts, a 1.21 ERA. He gave up one run. In seven and two thirds innings in his last start, his ERA went up. He's a pretty good pitcher right now for the, uh, and it's good to see. He was, uh, he was on Jerry Ratcliffe and I were noting he was on our podcast, uh, Jerry and I's podcast, uh, right after he got drafted a couple of years ago. He's, he's only two years into his pro career and he's already starring, uh, for the Reds. And of course, Ellie De La Cruz is the talk of baseball, a uh, very talented young man. And yeah, that farm system. The the Reds and the uh, Orioles. Uh, Scott German, uh, a big fan of the Orioles. My two of my uh, my my writers and podcasters here, very happy right now with their teams and how well they're playing, uh, and both likely going to be playing in October. So, um, uh, glad for you guys. My Washington Nationals are not going to be playing in October for a few years at least, but uh, at least I can live through you guys. Well, you know, I I mean, hey, I I would just soon see the nationals i've i've kind of always kind of secretly pulled for the nationals when nobody else that i can think of besides the cubs 
or somebody like that, you know, poor Cubs over the last few years. I, I guess I feel sorry for them so bad. That's the reason why I've thrown support behind them. But, you know, I, with the exception of a couple of years, I've, I've, I've been steadfast about the Reds for such a long, long time. Uh, and I kind of had a, I guess, a dark side with the force moment and fell away and went with Atlanta for a couple of years. And then I'm like, they're a joke. I don't want to fool with Atlanta anymore. So I went back to the Reds and I've, I've lived with it. And, and to beat all the year that my son was born, the 1990 was the year that the Reds last won the world series. And I called it to a friend of mine. He was kind of saying to me, he said, he said, well, what do you think the Reds are going to do? The Reds going to win it or is Oakland going to win it? And I said, Reds will sweep it in four. He said, you're really going out on a limb with that one. And I said, Reds will win it in four. And sure enough, they swept them. And that was just, that was incredible for that win that year. Of course, that was the year that um, March shot. Eric Davis got hurt in the center in center field, making a dive for a particular ball and uh, damages or uh, bruises, bruises up his spleen. Or I think something. it was a spleen. Yeah. Yeah. His spleen. And then March shot, uh, didn't bring him back with the team, made him uh, fly on his way back, his own way back to Cincinnati. And I'm like, that was the biggest slap in the face to probably one of their best players that they had at that time. And then not long after that, the dismantling process started on the Reds and Davis was gone. And I'm just like, well, you know, enough of this rubbing dog hair on people's chests all the time you know i mean lou Pinella got the idea a lot of others did so uh I, i've got to say now i think they finally have have got a formula if they can just continue to stick to it what's been successful for makes me think there's you know some fan bases like to say that their teams are cursed the uh, red sox always had the curse of that bambino uh, the Cubs had the curse of the goat who wasn't supposedly led into a game back to around the time, the last time they won the world series, maybe the curse of the spleen is going to finally be lifted off the reds here. You know, I've wanted to do that. You know, if I've had a bad experience with a team or somebody, especially even on the level of high school teams, <laughs> I have just really wanted to go and bring a goat into the stadium and then let the goat go to the 50-yard line and take a crap right on the 50-yard line and say, you're cursed. I hope you never win another game as long as you as long as long you put a field out here and you put a team on this field. I hope you never win another game. That's That sounds terrible, but, yeah, that's kind of the way I have felt about some teams here in the last several years. So. <laughs> if if Rod shows person. up – if Rod shows up to your stadium with a goat, beware. I, I, I won't do that. I won't do that. But it's it's crossed my mind, just like things have crossed your mind before. I'm sure that you're like, yeah, put a curse on them forever. I don't care if they ever win another ball game or something. I want to steal this goat thing. I love that idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna start taking a goat with me places. I'm I'm thinking I need to go to Blacksburg here pretty soon. You know that would be great. <laughs> Maybe Durham for the uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium. I mean, there's. Hey, I don't think we need to go with a goat. Let's just go ahead and curse it with a possum. How's that? We can just take a possum. You can put it in on a leash and let it go in there and stuff. And then when it uh, obviously uh, wants to you know, run some people off, have it hiss at people, train it to hiss at people. And then you might have the possibility of uh, getting a curse going, but I don't know. Virginia Tech, they might hunt that possum down and, and want to study it for something in their agricultural 
part. I don't. I know. think. The, I think. Yeah, I, I would give credit to the tech folks for knowing what to do as far as that goes, hunting and, and and then doing some work with it. So that's true. All right, so maybe I won't go there, but there are some places to go with the goat, <laughs> the possum. Yeah, there's there's some good stuff there. Well, hey, Rod, as always, thank you for your time. Great talking to you. Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks.